0: Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. It can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1679. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's follow the reading of God's word. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need to see in this moment... A big God, a powerful Savior. Help us, by the Holy Spirit, to see whom it is that we trust Him and why it is that we trust in Him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you all ever heard... uh, A prayer that is meant to be overheard. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a restaurant and uh, you hear, Dear Lord! And uh, you kind of think to yourself, that's one kind of prayer that's meant to be overheard, right? Right? It's sort of this uh, self-righteousness, a prayer that is meant to be overheard so that everyone knows how godly you are. And if you want a comparison, maybe, you know, you think to the parable, right, of Jesus who said, uh, the preacher man who went up to the temple and, and he looked up to heaven and he said, Lord, thank you that I am not like other people. And the publican, right, he was quiet, beating on his chest. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. So the prayer that's meant to be overheard can be of two types, right? One is, Lord, I want everyone to see and hear how godly I am. Or prayer that's meant to be overheard, it can be sincere as well. Directed toward God, but intended to to teach. Intended to teach. I want you to think of maybe the prayers of Your grandparents growing up that you would hear. Or the prayers of your parents over dinner. It's prayers that you remember because you listened to them. You listened to the way that they prayed. The manner in which they prayed. And and the the kind of reverence that they brought to prayer. Or or the, the, the special unique words that they would say in prayer. And that taught you something about prayer. Well, that's what Christ's high priestly prayer is. This is the beginning of Christ's high priestly prayer, John 17. All the way up to this point, we've been hearing the farewell discourse. He's been speaking to his disciples, right? And here in John 17, Christ enters into a series of prayers. Prayers for himself, prayers for his disciples, and prayers for all future believers, right? And the high priestly prayer... It's like the prayers of a grandparent that you overheard growing up. Or the prayers of your parents over dinner that taught you something. It's been called the most, remarkably por- most remarkable portion of the most remarkable book in the world because it is the utterance of the mind and heart of the God-man and the very crisis of his great undertaking. And so what we see here in these prayers is Christ praying, very likely so that his disciples could overhear His prayers. But Christ is not praying in a self-righteous, I want everyone to know how godly I am way. He's preaching in a way, or he's praying in a way that teaches the disciples something that they need to hear. That's our theme this morning. Jesus prays to teach us our salvation is found in the glory of God. Jesus prays to teach us our salvation is found in the glory of God. We're going to look at this first prayer, Jesus' prayer for himself, the first five verses of the high Priestly prayer in three parts. The goal of the prayer in verse 1, the reasons for the prayer in verse 2, and the requests of the prayer in verses 3 and 4 and 5. So let's look at that first point, the goal of the prayer, verse 1. Verse 1 says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. So the goal of the prayer is in two parts. It's about the present and future glory of the son, and it's about the ultimate glory of the father. The present and future glory of the son is three, is seen in three parts. The first, we read: Jesus looked to heaven and prayed. And we might now realize what's being communicated to us here but what you need to realize about prayer is that prayer is entirely confession of dependence when you pray you're saying that there is something that you cannot accomplish that there is something that you cannot make happen That there is something that you're incapable of and you need a greater power. You need a greater than you to provide it, to make it happen. Of course, we know that Jesus is God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But we read that when he came down from heaven, he emptied himself. And because of that, he is dependent upon God and he's submitting to the Father, In this moment, when he looks toward heaven and prays, he is saying, God, the Father, my Father, I submit to you. I submit to you. I put myself in your hands. I trust in you. And he's doing this because he knows what's coming the coming crucifixion that he's going to experience. That's why Jesus submits to his Father. He submits to his appointed hour. He says, Father, the time has come. And we've studied the Gospel of John for some time. And if you realize what the Gospel of John has said, it said over and over again, his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. His time had not yet come. And right here, Jesus says, the time has come, Father. Glorify your Son. The time has come. And when it says here in this moment, glorify your Son, the time has come, what Jesus is saying, what the Gospel of John is communicating, is that the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the ascension are the glorification of the Son. The glorification of the Son comes in the death of the Son. He submits. To his Father, he submits to his appointed hour, and he submits to his personal destiny. He says, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. We need to understand that what Christ is saying here is, in essence, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours Be done. And what he's saying by saying, Not my will, but yours be done, is that the glorifying of your son is going to be in the crucifixion of your son. And he's saying, I am willing. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. That even if it is by this path that you are going to glorify your son, may you know, Father, that I, your son, will glorify you. Jesus submits to his Father by praying to him. He submits to his appointed hour by saying, Lord, the time has come. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. And he submits to his personal uh, personal destiny by saying that your Son may glorify you. The ultimate glory of the Father is seen. And the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And the revelation of God's wrath and mercy on the cross. The glory of the Father is revealed. And so when we consider our salvation and what we have received at the hands of God. When we consider what it's it's done for us. This is important to realize. That God did not save you for your sake. God did not save you because you are unique or special or needed. I know that's not very popular to hear in our day and age. We hear of songs like uh, Toby Mack, who says that Christ couldn't have heaven without you, so he brought heaven to you. What you need to understand is that God saved you for his own glory. And that's important for us to know because his glory is the most important thing to him. His name, for his name's sake. If you remember the 23rd Psalm, right? It says, you will make me walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And that's important because that gives us assurance. Because if our salvation is based upon us and our unique qualities or our unique um, uh, thing that we bring to the table, if our salvation is is based upon our value, (laughs) that doesn't give us a leg to stand on. But if Christ prays here to show us that our salvation is not based upon us but upon the glory of God the Father and Christ his Son that is a foundation that is unshakable. And the second point, the reasons for the prayer. Verse 2 says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Christ here prays in a way that is overheard by his disciples to teach him, to teach them something about their salvation and our salvation, that it's found in the glory of God. And the reasons for the prayer are found in uh, three parts here in verse 2. First is, for you granted him, that is, the Son, authority over all people. Right here is talking about the mediatorial kingship of Christ. When Christ says, you granted the Son authority over all flesh, over all people, he's saying all people. Remember the words that Christ said to his disciples when he met them on the Mount of Galilee or outside of Galilee in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the basis of the going. That is the basis of the baptizing and the discipling and the teaching of the commandments. Is that all authority has been given to Christ. The mediatorial kingship of Christ is this reality. That God the Father has granted him authority over all people. That we have one ruler, one king who is king of kings, ruler of rulers. Who sits at the right hand of God the Father right now. Who's placing at this moment all enemies under his feet. The last enemy is the enemy of death. Whom Psalm 2 says to the other rulers of the nations, kiss the Son. That is our King. Christ is the only King. The only one who will reign throughout all eternity. The only one who has... Rightful claim and ownership to all people everywhere. To those of us who are submitted to the gracious reign of the sovereign Christ, that's a comforting thing. It's a very comforting thing. Because it hasn't taken me very long. Of living in Cook County before I realized that governments fail us all the time. Politicians promise many things, but they do not answer. And all it takes is a moment like this in our nation. How many of you here this morning? Thought a week ago that we would be right here where we are right now. Facing what we're facing now. Getting an email from your kid's school that says they're not going back to school till April 6th. Realizing that all of your March Madness brackets are worthless now. You you see, we take for granted the things, the the way they are. Day in and day out, nothing changes. And then something like this sweeps across our nation. And we're wondering, what's going to go on? What's going to happen? We can have mob mentality and panic. We can't find hand sanitizer anywhere. I'm willing to sell each and every one of you one roll of toilet paper for $10. I'm kidding. The point is, there's unrest. And all of us realize the fragility of society. And how quickly it could all unravel. And what we need in moments like that is to realize that there is a king above all this who is seated on the throne, who's accomplished all his works, who keeps all his promises, and who can be trusted and depended upon in such times as these. Christ is king. He's been given all authority by the Father. But it's important that this is a comfort to us because we know that the one who is king over all creation and all people is also our Savior. Second part of verse 2. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life. That he might give eternal life. So the one who is king and rules over all is the one who gave his life For us. This is the substitutionary atonement. Of Jesus Christ. He has been given authority over all flesh. And he has died. To give us salvation. That is to say. That the one king that can be trusted. Is the king who will give his life. For his people. That we may have eternal life we also trust in this king who has given his life for us because we are recipients of a grace of election. And the last part of verse 2 says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. The reasons for this prayer, the reasons why Christ is saying this prayer in such a way that his disciples can be overheard, is that Christ knows that they are about to experience Trial. Unrest. That right here in this moment, they're where the disciples, they're where we were last week. Not being able to see into the future and realize all that was going to happen, all that was going to change, all that was going to come. They have no idea that the officials are coming to arrest their rabbi. They have no idea that they're going to carry him away for a mock trial in the middle of the night. And give him false accusations, false crimes. They have no idea that he's about to be brought before Pontius Pilate. Where all the Jews are going to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. They have no idea that they're all going to scatter and run and hide. Because they don't want to die like he's died. They have no idea that all this is going to happen. And Christ wants them to know that the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father is the reason all this is happening. Christ wants them to know that even in the midst of this darkest moment, when it seems like all is lost, when he is being beaten to a pulp by wits, when he has to carry his death instrument up the street, up the hill to Golgotha, when he is hanging on that cross, gasping his last breath, that that's actually him as king, him as giving life to us, him as. Is capturing the salvation of those who are his own, who have been given to him by the Father. See, that's the kind of vision that we need right now, that we need to have as the people of God. Everyone else is looking with a horizontal view. And all they can see is all that is going wrong right here and right now. And they have no ability to see beyond it. And they have no idea what the future is going to bring. Just like the disciples could have been. As they saw their Savior killed. We have to be, as the people of God, those with vertical, a vertical view. We look to the scriptures and say, at the worst moment of the story of Christ... The greatest glory was being revealed. So, here in this moment, when we are experiencing troublesome times and uncertain times, we as the people of God can look up and say in our prayers, Lord, we trust in you. Help us to be used by you as your people in this time to bring the hope of the gospel. So we've looked at the goal of the prayer. We've looked at the reasons for the prayer. Finally, let's look at the requests of the prayer. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Christ is making this request that there be believers who know the Father and the Son. And of this, he's saying that we must know the only true God. Yahweh is his name. The God of the Old Testament is the only true God. There are no other gods. and We must know him. We must know Jesus Christ, his Son, his name tells us who he is, Jesus, is Yahweh saves, Yah- Yahshua, Joshua, the old, na- the old Testament name. Jesus is Yahweh saves, Christ is anointed one. So the anointed one who saves is Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah. And we must know Jesus as the one sent by God to purchase the church with his blood. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. May we know the only true God. May we know Jesus Christ. And may we know him as the one sent by God to purchase the church with his blood. He also makes a request for the completion of the work of redemption. Verse 4, Christ says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Anticipating the completion of this work, Christ the same. All that I have done, all that I have done according to your will, that I have accomplished according to your will, that you have set out for me to do, I have completed. And this prayer is a prayer that I pray all of us can pray at the end of our lives. That we may be able to say, Father, into your hands and commend my spirit we may be able to say, whatever that you have called me to do, I have accomplished. And trust and know that the day that the Lord brings us home is the day that he has sovereignly planned and orchestrated. We do not leave any earlier or any later than we're called to. And when we leave, it is when we are called to leave. And when we leave, it means all our work has been accomplished. Not one thing left undone. Christ said, To his Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Christ has completed the work of redemption. He's anticipating the cross. He's anticipating the resurrection. He's saying, Father, all this I've done for you to bring you glory. And finally, glorification of the exalted Savior. And anticipating, he says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Of course, this is a great uh, proof text for the eternality of the Son. Christ says, I had glory with you before the world began, Father. But here he's saying, As I approach the darkest moment, the darkest moment of history, when the sun is darkened, the storms happen, the temple curtain to the Holy of Holies, is as I approach that moment, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Because it is through the cross that Christ enters into his glorification, his resurrection, and his ascension to the sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, where he there presents himself in his resurrected body. As a picture of the perfect and completed work of redemption. As the glorification of the exalted Savior. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that there's two kinds of prayers that are meant to be heard. One is a prayer that seeks to show everyone how godly you are. and Draw attention to yourself. But there are also the prayers that are directed towards God and humility. But they're overheard to teach us something that we need to learn. Like the prayers of our grandparents, or our parents at the dinner table. Prayers of pastors in the past that we remember. This prayer, this high priestly prayer is like that for Christ. He's praying in such a way that his disciples can overhear what they need to hear. And in this moment, Jesus is praying to teach them and to teach us that our salvation is not found in ourself and our own worth. It's not found in what we bring to the table, or how special we are. But ultimately, it's found in the glory of God. That God is glorified in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his Son. God is glorified in the granting of mercy and grace of the elect and God has glorified the salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. That is a sure and steady anchor. That is a foundation that we can stand on. Knowing that our salvation is not for our name's sake. It's for his name's sake. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that it has done its work by your spirit in revealing to us and showing us Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to remind us of your glory your power, your providence. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the good and righteous rule of Christ, our King, the wonderful gift of eternal life through his atoning work on the cross, and the beautiful grace of election. And knowing that we have not been saved for our sake, but for yours, to reveal the fullness of your glory, both in your justice and in your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that we have learned this through the overheard prayer of Jesus Christ as our high priest. It's in his name we pray. Amen.